Kia ora, my name is Shannon. Uh, I'm really excited about Level 2. Uh, excited that I'll get to see whānau, especially my niece. Excited that my boys are returning back to school and they'll see their friends. Excited that our favourite fish and chip shop is opening. Um, I'm just excited that we're returning back to some kind of normality. Um, even though I've enjoyed parts of the lockdown, some parts have been tough. Shannon. Yeah, I agree. It's nice to have some normality back. I hope your kids enjoyed their first day back at school. I'm Indira Stewart. Welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. First, a quick announcement. This is going to be the final week for the Coronavirus Podcast. Now that the immediate emergency has passed, it's time for us to get back to our normal jobs at RNZ. But we do still have some great stuff planned for the rest of this week, including an interview with Dr Ashley Bloomfield on tomorrow's show, so definitely don't go anywhere just yet. Later this episode, our producer William Ray talks to Otago University epidemiologist Dr Patricia Priest about the first few days of Level 2 and what the road looks like from here. But first, let's get to the headlines. We had another day with zero new cases and it's now been more than a month and a half since we've seen a case which couldn't be linked back to a cluster or to overseas travel. But it is still possible that pockets of the virus are still hiding out in the community. Director General Ashley Bloomfield says the ministry wants to keep testing levels high just to make sure that if they do exist, they can be spotted as quickly as possible. I'm not concerned, but I'm watchful. Now over um, really three, well two and a half, nearly three weeks post we started Alert Level 3, we haven't seen any spike in cases. We haven't found cases that were unexpected. Um, but obviously we're, we're, we want to remain watchful. We want to keep up that testing um, across the country to make sure that if there are any cases there that may have gone undetected to date, we're finding them. And we're more likely to find them or see a spike because people are interacting more. So hence uh, continuing the wide testing and being ready to act very quickly. Overnight, Dr Bloomfield attended a virtual meeting of the World Health Organisation alongside the Health Minister, David Clark. The WHO's member states unanimously backed a resolution for an independent review of how the outbreak started. That review will begin as soon as COVID-19 has been brought under control. There had been some concern that China would stonewall a review after US President Donald Trump repeatedly accused it of mismanaging and covering up the virus. President Trump cut the America's funding to the WHO, accusing it of pro-China bias. But many other member states called for unity in response to the crisis, including the Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley. For too many of our citizens globally, life has become a game of roulette, betting on numbers and colours and ignoring the science that needs to underpin our actions. Nations rich and poor are seeking inspiration. This is a crisis, therefore, that strikes not only at the heart of our humanity, but also at the organisation of our human societies. It is a crisis that calls for global leadership. It was the first day back at school yesterday and attendance was quite a bit lower than normal at about 80%. The Education Minister Chris Hipkins says that's partly because some schools are doing a phased re-entry of students. But he acknowledges some parents are seriously worried about the risks of returning to school. 
my message to schools has been uh, be tolerant of the parent community whilst they rebuild their confidence and re-engaging with the outside world. Eight weeks to be locked down at home is a long time and um, it is a bit of a culture shock to come back out again. So we're going to need to support families as they go through that. Dr Ashley Bloomfield also had some words of reassurance for concerned parents. I can understand why people might be nervous and I think uh, some people are nervous coming back to work and riding public transport and something. And my message is the same to everybody. The work we have put in over the last seven weeks, particularly through the the lockdown and then our stepped and managed approach to come out of the lockdown has put us in the best possible position and we can have a high degree of confidence that there is Um, there are not cases of COVID-19 out there that are creating a risk either for school students or indeed for for others. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says the government's long-awaited COVID-19 tracing app will be released tomorrow. But she says it would be better to think of it as a kind of digital diary app because it doesn't include some of the automated wireless tracking technology that's been used in overseas apps. This uh, version on Wednesday has been constructed through the Ministry of Health and is a nationally consistent app that New Zealanders and businesses can use to record where they've been and when. It is intended to aid and support physical contact tracing efforts, not to um, replace them by any means. So with this being the final week of the coronavirus podcast, we thought we'd better check in with Dr Patricia Priest, the Otago University epidemiologist who's been a regular on our show. Our producer, William Ray, asked how she felt New Zealand was doing in the first few days of Level 2. I mean, this is a trial really, isn't it, of how we can manage with having um, less, less clear restrictions but still not going completely back to normal. And we have to we have to run this for a bit to see whether there are in fact cases out there that we didn't know about and whether they start spreading or not. So it's it's you can't be completely black and white. It's not possible to say for every situation exactly what you should do. But we've got general guidelines, and my sense is that people are generally trying to follow them as far as they can, as far as they can figure out what exactly they mean. So the point of level two, as you say, is is these potential undetected uh, cases out in the community. I mean, how likely is that? Because it it sort of feels like we haven't had a case that hasn't been linked back to a cluster in a very, very long time now. The actual kind of probability that there is a case in the, I don't know, in the mall as you step in is very, very low, but we can't be sure that it's zero yet. We need to sit at a level where we're not just completely back to normal for a period of time until those cases, if they are out there, have had an opportunity to manifest and we can see you know, how many of them there are and whether they've, uh, how far they've spread before we've found out about them. We have seen some other countries see what's being sort of dubbed a second wave of infections, particularly I'm thinking of Wuhan here and Singapore. And um, to some degree, Germany. I mean, can we can we learn anything from those countries' experiences? I think what we can learn is that even when you think you've got it completely under control, it can break out again. And that's why it's so important that we don't completely let our guard down at the moment and and stop behaving, you know, in these new ways of being more distant and so on. Because As we know, if we remember right back to the beginning of when we had it in New Zealand, or if you look at any country's pattern, 
you can start with a very small number of cases, but once they start rising, it rises very rapidly. And so we can't be sure that we won't have a second wave. And what we want to do is be absolutely prepared to identify that very first case, um, put the person, you know, isolate the person and find all their contacts really quickly and quarantine them so that a second wave doesn't get going. And I mean, just for those looking for reassurance, I mean, it's quite unlikely that even if we do have another case, that it will look like it did in those first few sort of quite scary weeks where it suddenly took off. We are much, much better prepared now. And so um, hopefully, and you know, we, I think we've done a lot to ensure that this will be the case, uh, when a, if a new case is, is picked up, then the, the contact tracing and testing of contacts will be able to be done quite quickly. And I think we've got a good chance of shutting down any new chains of transmission, you know, when we detect them, as long as we can keep up that um, good quality contact tracing and so on. One of the big changes under Level 2 has been schools reopening. Um, for the first day, we've seen quite a marked decrease in attendance. I think it's about 80%. A lot of parents are thinking of keeping their children at home until Level 1. What message do you have for, for parents who might be in that kind of position? Well, again, the probability that there's someone at school who will infect your child is extremely small. We can't be sure it's zero. I mean, there's nothing, there's no certainties in this. It's always a kind of probability and numbers game. Children on the whole seem to not have disease that's as severe as older people, although there seem to be some children who get a more severe um, effect. But I guess the other thing to think about is that it could be quite a long time until we get to level one. Let's say there is a case and we do manage to get on top of it, that's great, but we will then need to wait for a bit longer to be sure that there aren't any more cases. And so I don't make this decision and I could well be wrong, but I'd be surprised if we're only in level two for a couple of weeks. You know, if you're, if you're essentially locking your children down as though we're still in level four, you could be doing that for quite a long time. You know, parents have to make their own decisions, obviously, about um, what they feel comfortable with with their children. But I guess I'd just come back to the fact that the the actual probability that there's someone who's infectious at the school is extremely low at this point. So Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern um, gave some details of the contact tracing app, which is going to come out apparently on Wednesday. Um, she described it as more of a um, sort of a digital diary app than a, than a contact tracing app per se, because it doesn't have the um, Bluetooth um, automated tracking wireless and mobile towers and all that kind of thing built into it. I mean, can it still be effective without all those things? I think it can still be useful as an adjunct to the, the standard talking to somebody kind of contact tracing, which has to always still be part of the picture. Obviously, it depends on people having a phone that can read QR codes or whatever they are and remembering to do it, presumably both in and out so that you know whether you've overlapped with someone who was infectious. I think you know every piece of information adds to the ability to, to do good contact tracing and it will come down to how easy it is to access that information um, by the people who are doing the contact tracing or by the person who's um, on whose phone it is. 
so that it's not too onerous um, and and people will actually do it. I mean, a lot of other countries have gone with these sort of highly automated apps with the idea that that it sort of eliminates almost the need to remember or that you could, you know, very quickly send out an alert to all the people who've been within 10 metres of a person who's been affected. It seems on the face of it like that's that's a no-brainer to have in, in a tracing app. <laughs> I mean, I'm not completely across all of the literature on this, just to be completely clear, but my understanding is that um, take-up has been not as good as you'd need it to be in almost all of the countries who've got that. So unless a quite a high proportion of people have the Bluetooth app on their phone, uh, it's not as much use to you because if, you know, if the, if the infectious person, for example, happens to not have it on their phone, then it's uh, no use for contacting the people they've been near. Uh, and if half the people don't have it on their phone, but the infectious person does, then half the people that they were in contact with weren't picked up. So, I mean, again, I guess everything can be helpful, but if you're relying on really high coverage for something to be cost-effective, I suppose, then you need really high coverage. And I, as I understand it, there isn't anywhere that's got the kind of coverage that, that gives you a lot of security about that. I guess the good thing about the QR code approach is that you don't get the false um, reports where someone's been nearby but not in not actually in that cafe and the one through the wall and they the bluetooth thinks that you've been near them whereas at least with the qr code you know that you've been in a room with this person so i guess i guess we have to wait and see what the details are mm. and just finally um there was some there's a senior figure at the who um pointing out that coronavirus covid19 could be with us for a very very long time basically saying it could become an endemic disease which we just have to learn to live with i mean that seems like quite an alarming um pronouncement on the face of it but is there something <laughs> sort of joe pup or you know the layman is missing here <laughs> well endemic just means that there are cases um kind of trundling along in the population at some level uh and then maybe every now and then you get an outbreak so it can be cases trundling along at a very low level uh, and we have vaccine-preventable diseases uh, like uh, whooping cough, for example, which are endemic in the sense that they never completely go away. And we do have little outbreaks every now and then. But because there's a, a vaccine that can prevent most cases, we don't see a lot of it in the population. And I think we need to know more about what the vaccine will achieve when we get one, how how effective it is, and um, we'd need good coverage. But it, it's possible that it would, will become like other vaccine-preventable diseases where it won't completely go away like the first SARS did. So there will be the odd case here and there, but if there's a good vaccine and we have good take-up of the vaccine, then we're not going to see big outbreaks in lots of cases. Look, is there anything else you, you wanted to, to talk about, given this is probably, well, hopefully, this is the last time we'll have to talk to you? <laughs> um, I sort of feel like, you know, we all want to take a deep breath and relax now. Um, and that's good. But I'm a little bit anxious about what happens next. And I, I think, you know, there's, there is a chance that we'll have a second wave and we'll have to really jump on it quickly to avoid totally shutting down again, which I can see would be disastrous for a whole lot of reasons. But I guess the other thing is, 
it's like science fiction, isn't it? Like you just, we do not know what life is going to look like in another year or two. And it's possible that it won't look anything like what it looked like a couple of years ago. Or it, it's possible that in another couple of years, it will we'll all be fine again. I've, I've, I was supposed to be going to the UK in a couple of weeks and going to a conference and also visiting a friend. But um, we were having an email conversation the other day and he was saying, you know, maybe next year we'll sit in the garden and have a drink and think, did that all really happen? And it's possible that that will be the way it is. Or it's possible that in a couple of years, we'll still be having to make people quarantine for two weeks before they can come into the country. And I think all bets are off really <laughs> in terms of what happens next. Kia ora, Dr. Priest, and thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Kia ho maru, kakitea no ia koe a popo. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Sonia Sly, and Katie Gossett. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley, and the executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere, and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. And while you're there, check out RNZ's daily news podcast, The Detail. They've relaunched this weekend and doing a deep dive into a news story every single day.